Thanks so much for listening to No Lions Here with me, Big Panda. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to No Lions Here. My name is Big Panda, and I'm a recovering sex addict. Um, so I messed up yesterday. Um, yesterday I had on Matt Wanger from BAI, um, and you know, doing a new system in the in the studio uh, where I'm running everything by myself, and you know, thought that I was recording the interview because uh, we did it on Google Meet. And, um, so thought that I recorded the video, uh, turns out I actually did not hit record until about 26 minutes into our conversation. And, um, so you know what, like realizing that, you know, um, that was brought, brought on a lot of anxiety, um, some embarrassment too, guys, like really embarrassed that I just... I felt like I really screwed everything up. Um, and, you know, there, there's a lesson that to be learned there. Um, and that is that, you know, one, not everything's going to always go perfectly. Um, things aren't always going to go the way that we plan them to. Um, and that you just, you know what, you got to roll with the punches and just pick yourself up and, you know, and move forward the best way that you can. So, um, you know, it, it, instead of scrapping the whole interview, because one that that wouldn't be fair to Matt um, in his time, uh, you know, he he gave me his time, and so it just really would not be fair of me to to scrap the interview. So um, basically, after this introduction, you know, we're we're gonna jump into the video about twenty six minutes into our conversation, um, and. Um, and, and then just post the rest. Cause again, like things aren't always perfect. So I'm, I'm not going to sit here and act like I'm perfect. And if it's not, if I don't think the product is perfect, then I'm not going to put it out. Um, because you know what, things aren't always going to go perfect. And, um, just to show like I, I'm human. Um, you know, we're all human. We're all just doing the best that we can. So, um, so again, on this interview, it's, it's Matt Wanger clinical therapist, lead, lead therapist from BAI, Beginning and Institute, where I went to, to uh, treatment at. And um, when, when, when he jumps into the video, the question that I had asked him was, in the world of ever-evolving information, you know, how do you and your therapist at BAI, how do you guys stay on the cutting edge of, you know, recovery, like how the best ways to attack recovery? Um in different modalities and things like that. So um, when he comes on to the to the interview, that's basically the question that I had asked him, and this was him moving through that question. Um, and again, big shout out to Matt. Thank you so much, Matt, for coming on. Um, so without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, um, this is my conversation yesterday with clinical director of Beginning Institute, Matt Wanger. That's not relevant, I guess, but, but, um, one of the therapists, uh, Sako and I, like we went and did some exploring about a, a, a new technique that's kind of making waves in the field and seeing if that's something that we want to, want to use. We're always trying to expand our understanding of trauma treatment and addiction treatment in those ways. So I don't know if that really answers your question or not, but, but it does take time to, to make sure that, um, you're on top of those things, but I will say this, 
the truths about recovery really um, are really old and they're not always the cutting, the cutting edge sometimes drifts away from these things, but never too far because the, 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 the truths of recovery are, um, are essentially this. I have to find ways to feel my feelings and not run from them. Hmm. I have to figure out ways to experience and feel through my stuff and not numb it out or run from it or deny it or minimize it or whatever, right? And that's just not going to change. Now, if I use this technique or that technique, or if I use, you know, EMDR or brain spotting or you, you name the, the modality, right? Essentially, it's always going to come back to that thing. And, and so for us, we want to make sure that begin again and any therapy treatment that we're doing is grounded in that way. How do we help guys feel through their stuff and experience their stuff while they're with us in treatment so they get a taste for it? And then they're hungry for it once once they leave to continue that. And those guys are gifts in recovery. Those guys are good clients in therapy when they get that longing to, um, you know, I read this thing in a, a book the other day, to, to, to run through the darkness to the horizon, not running to the sunset, right? Like, mm. like a lot of guys want to run from the darkness and rather than run through it to the light on the other side. And, and that's always going to be the way to recovery. Yeah, that's it's funny because that reminds me of uh, I heard recently that um, bison are known for so you have cows and you have bison and cows will run away from the storm and then eventually get caught in it and they're in it for longer and they have to huddle and whereas bison, they see the storm coming and they run into the storm because they know that that's the quickest way through it. Yeah. And that just like really blew my mind and really made me rethink what my spirit animal is and that I am trying to be a bison essentially in, you know, not to say this in a derogatory way, like in a world of cows, like, you know, yeah. just wanting to move through it because that's the best way. Cause if I don't, if I don't move through these things when they present themselves and I'm not always great at it either. Right. Like there, there's, there's times where I'm feeling rock solid, yet bring on the storm, I'm ready. And then there's other times where I'm like, oh crap, the storm's coming. I want to go and hide. Um, and so I, I you know, it's 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 a balance, it's a struggle, but you know, that that is definitely the way through it is the only way, what is it? The only way I can't even think of it. The only way nope, nope, it's completely it's gone I don't, I don't the, only way, the only way forward is through that's yep thank you matt thank you that's the truth of of healing right and you always know someone's stuck when they say stuff like what's the point of going back and 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 digging up the past you know what's the point of you know going back over this old ground you know can't we just move on can't we just move forward isn't that just regressive just going back and getting all mad and upset about all these things that have already happened can i just plow ahead can i just make a new life work and what will you you know someone's stuck there right because what we know is like if you're not willing to face the pain of the past you're just going to replicate it right 
how many times in your experience in recovery, in my experience as a therapist, have we seen people that are just reliving their trauma, right? They're just perpetuating that trauma into someone else's life. One of the profound things, just awful things about trauma is that we don't treat it. We're just, you know, transferring it, you know? Uh, what do they say? Whatever you don't transform, you transmit. Mm. You know, if I don't deal with this, then I'm just going to bring it into somebody else's life. And when you're dealing with you know, a partnered relationship, most of the wounds that we bring into the lives of our partners are the wounds from our own childhood. You know, they're feeling those same things. You know, they feel abandoned or they feel neglected or they feel hurt or they feel whatever, you fill in the blank. It's, it's, it's almost one-to-one between our stories and, and what we're, so if we don't, we're not willing to go back and do that work, then we're just going to repeat the cycle. So I try to stay grounded when we, when we're exploring new modalities or we're trying to stay, like you said, on that cutting edge, you know, because I don't want to drift into magic bullets. I don't want to drift into cure-alls if it's going to pull us away from that actual work that needs to be done. And I tell you, I've been doing this for a minute now, and I've heard pitches from everybody under the sun about this modality and that modality or how it's changing and it's changing the, the field and nothing's ever going to be the same. And, and yeah, at the end of the day, most of the time, it's just flavors of ice cream, like what works for you and what works for this person over here and what works for that person over here or really what you prefer in your therapy or whatever. And a lot of them work and a lot of them are successful. Um, usually not dramatically more so than than another modality, but um, some you know different flavors for different folks. Yeah, that's very true. You you brought something up right there when we were talking about um, you know being stuck and not wanting to go back to the past. Now, I've and I've come across this in my own recovery and in other people's recoveries of like. And I, I don't want to, I'm, I'm hesitant to call it stuck, but like dealing with a certain thing for an extended period of time, sounding like a broken record, because I'm, I'm constantly having to talk, you know, for me, in my personal experience, it was my, you know, broken relationship with Patricia. Like, I had to talk about that for a year and a half before I was kindly, and I I felt really stuck on that, but I, I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily think that that, that was being stuck. Um, and I know I talked to a lot of guys that are like, I'm, you know, I'm sorry that I, I keep bringing this up. I'm sure you're tired of hearing about this. And it's like, no, not at all. But what's your perspective on kind of that way of thinking around a topic or something that we're trying to work through that is just taking time to work through it? Yeah, I just kind of, I, I think there's a couple of ways of looking at it, um, for sure. Um, one is that the area in which I am hyper-focused or the area in which I feel, quote, stuck, it holds some level of meaning for me that is bigger than the actual thing I'm talking about, all right, um, which, which I think is usually, like, more true, okay? Um, the second way of thinking about it, and there's probably other ways as well, 
but the second way that I that I encounter it is that people that are um, they they want to stay stuck in that place. Okay, it's a narrative that is unresolvable, and so it by by pulling the therapist and pulling other people under recovery into this unresolvable thing, then I am allowed to stay stuck, and I'm allowed to spin, and I'm allowed to reject intervention because this is unsolvable. I'll get, and I'll give you an example. And I may have told this story before, um, and so stop me if I have. But my very first client as a therapist, I was in grad school, and you have to see clients in grad school as a part of the program. Um, and my uh, grad school, they, they would invite people to come in and be seen by the master's level students and for like five bucks so you could get an hour with a with a therapist you know little little baby therapist for five dollars and uh some people really really into that and um but my my uh my first client in that space was um a woman in her probably late 60s you know actually you know i'm not i'm not sure how um old she was in memory but but I knew that life had been really, really hard to her. And so she looked like she was in her late 60s. She could have been younger than that. But this was her experience that she was stuck and she would tell this story every session. She would be some version of the same story about her, her husband who was an alcoholic or her ex-husband who was an alcoholic and, and, and the story of their divorce and the story of their son that they'd had together and now he's an alcoholic and that all the things that they were both doing to her and that, that, that she was still being abused by him and that her son was abandoning her and wasn't appreciating her as a mother. And, and it, and it was this spiral, right? She would, no matter what I would try to move the conversation towards, it would always come back to how she was being abused and hurt and wounded by these two men again and again and again. Um, and it may, and I, at one point, this is probably three sessions in maybe, maybe sooner than that. I don't remember, but I said, um, this is starting to make sense to me. Can you tell me if this is true? So you've been coming to the student clinic here for how long? She said, five years. I've been coming here for five years. And you've been telling this story to therapists for five years. And she said, yeah. And what that means is that every semester, this is how it works, she was getting a new therapist. Um, so that's probably three, that's 15 therapists or more wow. at minimum that she has told this same story to again and again and again. And she said, well, I have to tell the story because if I don't tell the story, then you won't understand and you can't help me but she would take up the whole time telling the story, right? So, uh, you know, you're probably wondering why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this because she had become so stuck on that point that no one could help her. And her only way out that she, as she understood it, was to tell the story. But guess what? She never got done telling the story. And she never got done ha having you understand what it was that she's experiencing in reality, it's something that she didn't fully understand. 
but this but the spiral of it allowed her to remain stuck it allowed her to maintain her role in her life as a victim to see everyone in her life as against her and 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 it and it kept her from moving forward but she also didn't want to move forward because she wasn't done grieving all of that hurt and she wasn't allowing herself to grieve it so that's what i mean when people are stuck on something it's they and they don't want to move forward the other one is they're stuck on something because it holds more meaning to them that they don't fully understand yet right so you think about your story with patricia right does that really contain all the meaning of why it was so hard for you to process through or was the that attachment to patricia emblematic of some other need that panda has or had that he needed to work through and that was just like an emblem or or, or symbol of it right and so over here i say no you're not stuck you're working through the deeper meaning of something that was hurtful for you over here with my client it was you're absolutely stuck and until you stopped regurgitating the story to new therapists every three months you're going to stay stuck um, mm. and she had to make the choice of finding a pro bono therapist or someone that was outside the student clinic to really help her move on past that storytelling aspect of her therapy does that make sense like the difference oh, yeah that 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 makes total sense and you know you brought up the word victim in there um which is totally something in recovery that i can really relate to like i almost is it is uncomfortable as it is there's so many times where like i want to play the victim so that then i can justify what i'm doing to cope with being in that situation in my head of being the victim oh well if i'm always the victim well then yeah of course i'm i'm gonna run back to my old behaviors to to cope and to manage with that um so yeah yeah that's and i i, I like to call that or uh, my sponsor calls that like being very eye-centered uh, yeah. instead of like you know in the program god-centered if i'm eye-centered then that opens up the door for victimhood and being the victim and woe is me you know that that type of that type of mentality which absolutely being in that type of mentality will absolutely i mean like i like to say it's like i'm trying to drive a race car with racing slicks through the mud yeah that's exactly uh, right yeah and i'm spinning my tires because i'm totally on the wrong track with the wrong car and totally the wrong vehicle here um, and that I need to adapt and, and change those things so that I can move through that. Well, what you said there is so important, right? That, okay, so not that I, I can't be stuck in the victim, okay? I can't, mm. but I also can't deny that I have been victimized, right? So mm. what we talk, you you know, you've heard this. What we talk about in the program is I have to hold these things in tension that yep. I, have been a victim of trauma and I have now perpetrated trauma, right? And I can't go, I'm a monster or I'm a victim. I have to find my identity outside of that. 
binary, but I, but, and I can't deny either one. So when I am stuck in my identity as a victim, then there is something in my past that I have not healed from. And that's just the truth that I am still stuck in this story being victimized. The reality is you're not, that was happened in your past. It's not happening in your present. You're not currently being victimized as much as you might like to believe that. Uh, I mean, gosh, you've heard this. I've heard it a, a hundred times, right? More than that, that, that a, somebody comes in and they're perpetrating all this trauma through their addiction. And yet they're claiming that they're the victim of their partner's anger or their partner's, you know, um, borderline personality disorder or whatever you want to throw on the on them right and and helping guys and coaching them out of that way of thinking of saying hey like you were a victim but you're not a victim anymore right mm -hmm. we do need to go back and work on this stuff okay but it but it, it doesn't need to define your present in, in your present you're actually doing harm and so you have to get out of that mindset so that you can get into the mindset of recovery and the mindset of of healing for yourself and for other people in your life and accountability guess what a victim is not accountable for the what what they're doing they say well i've been traumatized and i went through this and so like this is what happens to a traumatized person they go out and they hurt other people and aren't you sad for all the things that i've been through and you're like absolutely but man like lovingly like we cannot leave you there you've got to come along with us um, and, and we're going to gently work through that stuff together okay but that, that can't be your identity anymore yeah yeah that that makes that makes total sense um definitely can relate to that identifying as the victim just throughout my whole life um and at times you know still still battling that right i i don't I think that for me right now, that is still definitely, you know, a struggle and a battle in something that I face. Um, and, and it's gotten more manageable, absolutely. And, you know, I, now I have tools and a, and a program and a system to help me work through that. And I, you know, I don't know, do you, is that, is that something that, and I know, is that something that goes away or is that something that just kind of gets the weight of that gets less and less over time as long as you're doing you know the right work in order to to distance yourself from that mindset absolutely it when you see someone who's successful in recovery what you're going to see is someone who is not um a raw nerve okay they're not this exposed nerve to their reality okay they're not um, reactive to all of the things that like in the same way that they 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 were they're able to take in their environment they're able to take in their reality they're able to take in experiences they're able to take in other people's emotions evaluate them and choose what to keep and what to reject choose what to incorporate into themselves and what to hold loosely or let go of when we don't when we're still stuck in our trauma and that victimhood then we're exposed okay we're permeable and everything from the outside makes its way in and can dysregulate us and to stress us people like people in our advanced in recovery they're able to let things in and let things go 
they get to decide where their emotional boundaries are and they're not dysregulated by everything. And one of the ways in which that shows up is their ability to evaluate correctly when someone is hurting them or when they are um, perceiving that they are being hurt. And there's a big difference because over here, like I can't, I shouldn't be exposed to relationships that are harmful. Okay. Like if, if you're, uh, and I, I want to be careful about this because, you know, addicts that are early in recovery will take this thought and they'll run with it. And it's, and, it, and, and it's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about your partner. Okay. I'm talking about abusive relationships from your past. Okay. So let's say your mom is still this toxic person who every time you engage with just is mean to you and says mean things to you and tries to get your goat and tries to get a rise out of you to see that you still care about her or, or whatever it is. Right. Then I, I don't have to be around that person. Okay. I, I, I need to have a boundary there for my emotional safety to, to reject that. Okay. Right. So, being around certain people um, is good can't is not good for our system right so we have to learn what to take in and what to reject right and in in other relationships i have to pursue healing in right so the the hallmark of someone who's in recovery is someone who is who can sort that out and know when they're being in a relationship where they're being harmed and they need to set up a boundary and when they're in a relationship where they just perceive that they're being harmed, and it's actually what they need to do internally to work on it. Okay, it's actually on them to work on it internally. Example A, there is, okay, mom over here, abusive, whatever. Totally, I, I totally made that up. The other category is almost always our partner, right? That I perceive that I'm being harmed. I perceive that I'm being disrespected. I perceive that I'm being undercut. I perceive that I'm being devalued or abandoned. And if someone in recovery who's no longer in that victim mindset can say, all right, I, my, my nervous system and my emotions and my thoughts are all telling me that this person is dangerous to me, but my therapeutic experience and my treatment is telling me that this is something that is rooted in my trauma and, and, I, and I need to lean in here and sort this out. So that's the biggest difference is that people that, and you will see that to answer your question directly, you will see that if you're not seeing a more stable response to um, your environment, the people in it, then um, you're not probably as far along in your recovery as you'd like to be. That's, and I think I, I think that that is you just really touched on one of like the key elements to the program and that is what's my part in this and that 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 inventory of self around because uh, yeah like you know I'm, I'm not in a relationship I'm, I don't have a partner but I can I see this in everyday life around just work people things like that like where I perceive that they're coming off like they're being mean to me because because I deserve them because I did something to them to deserve that kind of reaction from them. And when I get all worked up around that stuff, 
I have to take into consideration, okay, well, what's my part? Oh, okay, that is hitting on something that is much deeper than what this person actually said or did or how they meant it, right? Yeah. Like they're probably having a bad day right now and it's not about me at all, but what is about me is what's that hitting off of inside and okay, what's really going on with me right now? And and when it can totally tell, okay, well, yeah, I'm really irritable today because I'm feeling this, this, and this. And so that's, I'm much more affected when I'm in those like irritated areas um, with people around me. Yeah. And there's two things that I coach guys to do around that stuff is like, you need to have a healthy suspicion of your initial reactions to, um, negative things in your environment okay so i perceive that someone is doing something to me what's my knee-jerk reaction to that can i hold that reaction in healthy suspicion because historically um like that hasn't been my, my initial reactions haven't been good okay so i need to develop a healthy suspicion around my assumptions about my perception of reality okay a, another like more clinical way of talking about it is a, a concept called faulty neuroception. When I have experienced trauma, my brain uh, is stuck in that fight or flight state, right? So it's going to perceive things as dangerous, even when they are not. The title of your podcast is No Lions Here, right? Mm -hmm. that, that, that what, I, what I think is dangerous is actually not, mm -hmm. right? That I will be okay, right? And that's faulty neuroception. You're, you're, podcast is titled after faulty neuroception so not as catchy of a title but um <laughs> you should be aware of that right welcome to faulty neuroception <laughs> right but uh, that, that, that's the reality right so i'm i see things as threats that aren't threats okay on my and i have to rewire my brain through therapy through trauma treatment to, to start to have that healthy suspicion that maybe my perceptions are not reality. Maybe my perceptions are not accurate. Okay. And the other thing I encourage guys to do is um, to, to, to use a tool that is an old tool in, in, in recovery, okay, for lots of different addictions, really. But it's called first thought wrong. You probably heard of it. Mm -hmm. My initial thought in response to something that feels negative in my environment is almost always going to be wrong. It just okay. is because I have, because that's the way that my brain is wired in my trauma, in that victim mindset, right? That, that, that I'm under attack, that this is, you know, a threat to me in some capacity and they're doing this on purpose and they're doing this to get at me. You know, I was working with this guy and, um, you know, he, uh, you know, uh, he he had um, bought her some shorts that she didn't want to wear. She felt objectified in the shorts. And so they had a conversation about it. He wasn't happy about it, but but she ended up throwing them in the garbage as a result of that conversation because she didn't want to feel objectified in her own home uh, wearing the shorts that he had bought for her. And uh, they were in a conflict about it. And they were working through it in therapy. And what he said to me was, she left those shorts in the garbage in the kitchen so that I would see them and 
and and and then that she, and then she would get a rise out of me and that she would she would zing me by leaving the shorts in the garbage in the kitchen for me to find and she's just so confused and 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 baffled by this she said i was taking the garbage out i got distracted i left it there i was on my way back to take it to the curb do you really think that that's that's the Machiavellian thought process that like, oh, I'm going to leave the shorts in the garbage right on top. And so he'll see them right in there and then he'll know that I'm really getting, get going after him or whatever. And then, then he described his further thought process. Not only did she leave those in there to get to me, right, but she's, she doesn't value money because I, I purchased those for her and she doesn't know how expensive those are. And she doesn't value my work and how hard I work. Right. All these thoughts were just spinning and spiraling out of this perception that was immediately and ridiculously incorrect right yeah. that she had thrown them away like she told them that she was going to and had left them in the kitchen on her way to go do something else and he accidentally came across them made a series of assumptions that all basically came down to what i'm under attack she hates me She's trying to needle me, yada, 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 right? So first thought wrong, developing a healthy suspicion of my perceptions. Like that's gonna like, that's the step one of like getting out of that victim mindset. Yeah, first thought wrong. I've, I've definitely heard that before. It's been a while. And that is for me, such a great reminder. Uh, Cause my brain it's constantly, it feels like sometimes in, in problem solve mode um, and, and bringing up those types of narratives so that I can figure out how to work through them and work around them and, I mean, kind of get away from them. Like sometimes those first thoughts are, are really scary thoughts yeah. and can, can really bring on a sense of anxiety and panic and disappointment. They're sticky, right? Because they're familiar. So like we get stuck on them and then we start to like just just get wound up in those in those thoughts because they seem so familiar and they fit our frame so well, right? So we're just like stuck on them like a fly to that fly paper and we're just we're just we're 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 off uh gone for the ride at that point, right? Like we're just Yeah what I found with guys that actually will implement that as a tool, it's with us funny, like they'll get quieter in their interactions with their partner. They'll get quieter in their interactions with people that they find difficult because their first thought would lead them to say something or do something. And so they go, okay, well, if my first thought is incorrect, what's my second thought. And I encourage them to like, have your second thought. If you can gin it up, be something compassionate about the person who you think is is out to get you. What's a compassionate thought about how this is going, right? That, oh, she told me that she was going to throw these out and that this is just her doing what she said she was going to do. She's actually taking out the garbage. That's nice. And she's not an evil person, so she didn't just leave it here for me as a trap, right? So what's mm-hmm. a, that's a compassionate series of thoughts, a generous series of thoughts for this other person. And then I get – and then like any therapy, 
panda like you you have to leave them with the choice you can because that's the reality i can either choose the sticky thought i can choose that um you know knee jerk incorrect perception thought or i can choose to be generous with this other person right mm. The trick is that we have to have done enough trauma work to know that we're not going to be in danger if we respond generously to other people. Mm. That 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 brings that what that brings to mind for me is you know I've been reading this book that's called um, Whatever Arises Love That by Matt Kahn, and you know. That reminds me of like, you know, because in that book, it teaches approach everything with love. If I can approach the situations with myself, with other people, with love, love for myself when I'm in, when I'm getting spun up, if I can love those parts of me, um, that will then open me up to more love in the universe and people around me. Um, so that that compassion, uh, those compassion thoughts that I'm trying to come up with in those situations, it really just reminds me of like, just approaching the situation with love to the best of my ability. Yeah, that's what I mean when guys get like they get quieter, right? Because that second thought doesn't come as easily. So I'm dealing with saying, okay, first thought wrong. What's my second thought? And I have to work at it to come at that generous <laughs> second thought. And so what will happen if somebody's doing this is that they'll just get quiet. So I had this guy come back the next week who, who I was talking with about the shorts and he said, wow, I, I, I said a lot less things this week because I was so stuck trying to think about a generous second thought, and I had a hard time. I'm so used to just being the victim, right? So, so I had a hard time coming up with a, a generous reason why she would do those things. So what ended up happening was I just didn't have a response at all. And, so, you know, and then later I could maybe think of it or, or, or not. And I said, hey, man, that's a win, okay? Even though you couldn't come up with a generous reason why they would do something like that, the very fact that you didn't act out of your reactivity um, is a win. And it, and it promoted healing in the relationship just by just not doing the immediate uh, reflexive thing. But, but, but yeah, what you're talking about is living a life that is moving towards generosity whenever possible. Mm -hmm. right? Whatever comes, I'm going to approach that with generosity. But I'm not going to figure out how to win. I'm going to figure out how to um, be compassionate and generous and loving. Right? And gosh, that's the trick. If there's anybody out there that's listening to this, like if you want to like save ten thousand dollars on marriage therapy that's it right if I, can move, if I can move away from trying to win towards trying to be compassionate and generous and loving in my responses so much of the marriage complex is about winning and losing right? who's going to win who's going to who's going to get to be the victim who's going to get cared for who's going to get you know whatever and and the counterintuitive truth that like if you get this you don't you could save so much money okay is that when you are generous and compassionate and pursuing the good of the other person you actually win 
Mm. Because you get to participate in a loving and compassionate and generous relationship because that stuff's going to come back on you from the other person. But if I fight and claw to, to be the winner and to gain the upper hand and to gain power and gain the power of being the victim at all times, then you're going to live in a perpetual dogfight. In, 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 in so, yeah. It's, it's, it's almost like winning versus engaging because I don't want to call it losing. Mm-hmm. It's like, but if I win, that's not where I want to be. But if I can engage, that's where I want to be. I want to engage in this. Yes. And guys that are making progress in their relation, the relationship part of their recovery are trying to engage with their partner's heart, Mm. not trying to win. They're trying to listen. And when they can listen and they can own and they can reflect that other person's experience, then this, this, this angry, um, uh, reactive person that they've cultivated in their addiction by repeatedly wounding softens and is suddenly safer and calmer in their interactions with you because they feel like they're now um, not in danger as well. And so by shifting, I call it, you know, from me to we, right? Mm. By shifting from that, from the me to the we, then like, so many of these stupid, you know, fights and, and, and conflicts in our world um, disappear. And gosh, you, you start to sound like a real life version of like Oprah or something in your relationships and people tend to really like that. Oh, that's, that's really good, man. Those are just really good reminders and you know, and, and also to the reminder that like, this is work, you know, going back to kind of what I said at the beginning of, you know, when, when we first came on is like, oh, if it's got to be work and I'm not going to be good at it right away, I don't want to do it at all. Um, yeah. But realizing that like, yeah, it's work and you're not going to get it right and it's going to be hard. And, but however, that is where the growth and the healing comes from is that work. That, that we need to be doing and that we're not just going to be i'm not i'm not going to know how to approach situations with love because that's never it's never how i interacted with the world yeah and that's going to take some time to learn how to do that well it's the, it's that's the core right of, of so much of addiction recovery is that battling that instant gratification reflex that if i'm not going to immediately see the result that i want out of this then i'm not going to do it you, you we could talk for hours about this and all the <laughs> that it shows up in people's lives right like well i tried recovery and i didn't feel better i tried loving my partner and engaging with them compassionately and it didn't work, you know, or, or, or whatever, right? And it so much of helping people through those early stages of recovery is like, hey, man, you're not going to feel better. Going to a meeting is not going to make you feel better. Going to therapy is not going to make you feel better in the way that you think it will, right? Because you're used to thinking about things in terms of, of, of head rush and, and dopamine and mm-hmm. 
nervous system overload and like going to a meeting is is not going to make you feel better that way right it's going to maybe help you feel more grounded and more connected to your emotions but oh no do i want to be more connected to my emotions is you know so the joke is right that it's not going to make you feel better but you will feel better you're going to feel your sadness better you're going to feel your joy better you're going to feel your hurt better you're going to feel depression better you're going to feel joy better you're going to feel better right but i'm not going to feel better in the way that i my my addictive behaviors are, are telling me that i will that, 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 that they'll help me and it works the same way in our relationships with our partner if i come to this relationship with this generous out uh, outlook a compassionate and um validating um response to my partner is it going to work immediately no mm -mm. it will not work mm -mm. and and but guys are like well i tried it and it didn't really do anything so like i am gonna go back to like just just logic and lawyering and just winning and just proving to her that i am in recovery i'm gonna argue argue her into a belief that i am better now and i look at all the things that i'm doing all the meetings that i'm going to and, and, and that seems to to work better but why doesn't it work why doesn't it that all that sweet sounding stuff that we're talking about work right away well she's uh suspicious okay to put it lightly <laughs> that you're gonna show up with all this newfangled therapy stuff and, and, and that you're trying to snow her in again okay and and you're gonna try to get one over on her again and she's not gonna allow that to happen again so she's going to develop that or he's going to develop that suspicion that's going to keep them safe that i'm not going to let this in until i can see it consistently until i can see it over a long period of time and what we're talking about there is an investment am i going to make an investment that is not going to show instant r return okay mm -hmm. but will pay out over time as i continue to invest in my relationship emotionally generously and, and and she sees the pattern or he sees the pattern in in my life of like this is the now the way that i operate okay um that that will pay off over time but if i have that mindset that you're talking about like well if i'm not good at it right away then i'm gonna quit if it doesn't result in in, in improvement in my marriage right away i'll quit i'll, I'll quit then, then then of course it's not gonna work yeah and, and I do uh, marriage counseling with sex addicts, and and you always know when somebody's off, they're off the track when they when they tried your tool or your suggestion on a one week trial basis, and they have <laughs> they have data to show you why it, it's not working for them, and it's like, well, why don't we try it for longer than a week and do it in good faith? and see if it, it bears fruit. Yes, it, that, that really reminds me of that, like checking the box to check the box mentality. Yeah. Like, well, yeah. well, for the last week I've checked the box. Why is nothing changing? Why is nothing changing at all? And I mean, there's so many, I'm guilty of that 100%, um, definitely. And and I, I, I wanna be very mindful of your time, but I, I do wanna share, you know, a story kind of a, around this um that actually i kind of experienced 
the other side of it this last weekend, you know, I, I was doing a lot of zoom meetings and then this time last year, it was right after the five day hero's journey trauma intensive, um, that I was like, you know, I wanted to start hitting in-person meetings, but I was really afraid because I was like, I don't know anybody. I'm really scared. Like, and it was actually in the living room of the BAI house that another program friend was, we were talking about this and he goes, you just got to do it, man. You just got to do it. And people are going to learn you. They're going to get to know you and learn you. And so I went to my home group meeting on Saturday and I was not in a great place. Um, but man, I got there and 15 people that I've gotten to know over the last year were all standing outside waiting to go in. And I just made the rounds and, and hugged everybody. And everybody's like, hey, Panda, you're here. You know, I knew everybody's names. Everybody knows me no matter where I'm at. And that like immediately like uplifted me from where I was at prior to getting there. And I, I think that relates to kind of some of the stuff we're talking about. Uh, but it was just, it was really special to be able to see that, that because of the time that I put in with this meeting and these people, that now when I show up, I'm not afraid. Yeah. Uh, because I know that I'm going to be welcomed, loved, supported, and wow, this feels really good to have these people know who I really am and still want to embrace me when I show up. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's an investment, right? The investment I made in that community, in that meeting, that's reaping rewards. I talk to guys often that look at it differently, that they're feeling like, this is a complex thought, but they're feeling like they want to act out, right? They're, 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 um, you know, triggered in that regard. And their, their, their solution, which is a good idea, is to go to a meeting. That's great. Okay, I'm, I'm feeling like I'm feeling wobbly. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to go to a meeting. But what they do at the meeting matters, right? It's not the meeting itself that's going to magically change anything about you, okay? Mm -hmm. But what you do at the meeting, right? Am I going to talk to people at the meeting? Am I going to be vulnerable with people at the meeting? Am I going to tell them where I'm at emotionally? So I was just talking to this guy couple weeks ago that relapsed and he's like i went to a meeting i'm like well what? okay cool you guys well said you went to the grocery store if you just go somewhere don't bring any of yourself to it and expect it to magically make you feel better and mm -hmm. what you're describing is hey if i bring myself to this space in a vulnerable authentic way then then, then i am going to gain a benefit out of it but if i sit in the back and I'm tapping my foot and saying, well, I'm at a meeting and I don't feel any different. I don't feel any better. That's the, that's, that's the attic churn, right? I'm doing all the things I'm supposed to do. And I, have, I guess I have no choice. I guess I have no other option because the, the, the things that I've learned how to do in recovery are, are working for me. So, you know, I guess, the, I guess I have no choice. This is the only way that I can do these things, right? And it's just such a, a lie, right? And, and, and mm -hmm not even in good faith because they didn't participate in the in the actual meeting they didn't bring many of themselves to it right and that's that box checking that is just really not going to move the needle yeah man that's again just another great perspective and, and something to apply and and think about more for me in my own recovery um man i 
it's so funny, Matt. Like we maybe touched on like one of the questions that I, I know, had. I told you that I was gonna ask. And now, and, and you know, just where this is coming, and I just, I, I love this, man. This is this is so great. Like, and I, I I will say, I'm I'm a little embarrassed because I actually did not. I thought I was recording. But I actually didn't actually start recording until about uh, 20 minutes into our conversation. Um, so we missed some of that front part. Um, and when I realized it, I, I kind of realized it like while you were talking about something, and I was like, oh, crap. And I just felt this wave of embarrassment and anxiety wash over me like, wow, I really just screwed that up. Oh, my gosh. Um and it'll be okay. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll still be able to 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 get something out of this. But yeah, I'm, I'm on the back side of this. I'm I'm feeling a little a little embarrassed about that for sure. No worries, man. I mean, we can go a little longer. I have like 15 more minutes if you want to keep going. Oh, okay, yeah. Well, then let's. Um, I I definitely want to ask you about you know in your experience. You know, what is what is the most common behavior that you're seeing amongst clients that are coming through? And I know that you see a lot of guys. Yeah. Um, well, the obvious answer there is pornography. And I think, geez, I, I think seeing someone in treatment that doesn't utilize pornography, you know, somewhat compulsively is, is so rare. I can maybe think of a handful of guys that pornography really isn't their thing, right? They were, they were, you know, and, and those guys are tend to be like serial affairs, right? They're, so pornography really isn't doing it for them or, or maybe they, they dabbled in it a little bit, but it's not really their behavior, right? They're, they're more into these kinds of illicit relationships. And that will tell you a lot about how their addiction works like really quickly but by far far in a way the 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 most common behavior is pornography and it's just ubiquitous it's everywhere it's easy to access a lot of stuff you can access for free a lot of it you can access for very little cost um and it's becoming even more and more uh, uh, pervasive and available. You know, I read a statistic the other day that like um, there's like 30,000 searches for pornography like every four seconds. You know? Wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's, that's, it's really interesting, you know, that, that you talk about because I've noticed for me, in my recovery, and this has kind of been like this for, I don't know, the last year or so. And I don't know if, I, I don't believe that it's necessarily the progressive side of things, but like, I'll be honest, Matt, like when it comes time and I'm in that cycle and I want to act out, I don't want to go to porn. I, I want that physical, that's, that's what I'm after. Porn just doesn't never i mean it did it for me but it's i'm seeing now that like my my pattern is is not so much it's not porn it's 
how do I find somebody to give me that physical interaction? Because that's what I'm really craving. Sure. Um, and and I, I do believe, obviously, like, I do believe that this is totally tied with my enmeshment with my mother um, and, and tied into childhood. But I've, I've definitely noticed that about my patterns and my behaviors. Yeah, and I and I think the the way in which you discussed it there is is right on. Okay, so with pornography being ubiquitous and available, and it's like a drug that follows you around in your pocket, you know that that most sex addicts are going to avail themselves of that that drug. Okay, because it's easier. It's easier than finding that in person connection with someone else, right? And and guys that get are really strung out on that you know are oftentimes the like pretty wounded by it right because they those random hookups will get kind of darker and darker and into things that are not in alignment with their sexual identity or or whatever else and um so but the way you describe it is correct that when you think about pornography and the reason that most sex addicts include it in their like compulsive behaviors is because it highlights a disconnect between them and other people in terms of actual intimacy that I can have this faux level of intimacy over here and observe it from a distance, keep myself safe from all the dangerous aspects of it, and then figure out how to meet my needs sexually in reality, not meeting any of the needs and just bypassing all my real needs. But what I think I'm doing is a, a, a getting some connection to intimacy or, and, and, but, but remaining at a distance from, okay. Which is a metaphor for pretty much, you know, a good 80% of sex addicts and in, in their experiences in childhood, right? That, that intimacy is, is at a distance, that like closeness and connection and attunement and care and love is something that I know intellectually or that I don't know very well or that it's not very safe. So if I have it, I have it from a distance and it's strange, right? And that's why I think it's so common because like that is mm -hmm. the experience of a sex act with emotional intimacy. And that gets um, confused with sexual intimacy. And then I think I'm going to get my needs met, you know, down that rabbit hole. What you're describing is insight into your own trauma that bears itself out in your addiction in a different way. So it's not about the emotional distance that I feel from intimacy, that, that your addiction is about how do I bridge that gap as fast as possible and get that a connection and to get that um, uh, nurturing, okay, that I need from this other person through physical touch and presence and that some narrative that I can overlay onto this random hookup that I can convince my body and my nervous system that it's happening, right? And so there's two ways of looking at it. One is that your addiction escalated from pornography into these hookups, or it was never really going to be the central feature of your addiction because that's not like how your trauma and how your body was wired to try to seek, seek those needs to be met in that sexual avenue mm. I, I like what you said there about the bridging I, I, you know that is me trying to bridge that as quickly as i possibly can because i also know that for me 
it comes with being seen. Yeah. And like, I really want to be seen. A little panda, big panda, like, we just, we want to be seen. And in porn, for me, in my experience, that's, yeah, I'm not going to be seen. Yeah. It's, it's on a screen. It's it's right here in front of me. Whereas if I can find somebody to quickly, to bridge that as quickly as I possibly can, and if you are going to agree to get physical with me, boom, I'm I'm being seen. I'm being heard. Mm-hmm. And, oh, wow. So, yeah, that makes total sense as to why that's why I want to go to that place immediately. And the, the, the lie is that those things are the same, right? That, like, because I've sexualized my emotional needs, that being with someone and having a, a sexual act with that person is being seen, which is not the case. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you just burst my bubble, Matt. Dang. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's not, right? And neither is any of, you know, sex is, cannot meet any of our needs in that regard it's not designed for that right it's it's you know i say to people it's the consummation of intimacy it's not the definition of intimacy right it's a way in which i can consummate an intimate bond with a partner but not a way in which i achieve intimacy with my partner it's it's, it's just not it can't do those things the, the the easy way of talking about it is prostitution right like you can have sex with a prostitute and have no emotional connection with them at all. And you can have an emotional connection with someone and not have sex with them at all. Right. So there is um, any overlap. There is really just a, a story that we've made up that we're telling about that experience. And, and, and it's a short story. It goes, I was seen or I mattered or I was connected to this person and, and, or I was held or whatever it is. Right. But in reality, it, and that's why there's always that crash because it's never what it is that we wanted it to be. So now is that why, then this is something that I've been really thinking about a lot. Um, just kind of off and on is like, so when I, when I, when I act out, there is a withdrawal. Right. There is a there's a period of uncomfortability where I'm just I'm withdrawing um, from the drug. But with sex addiction in my chemical sobriety, right, like I don't ever want to go back to the drugs and the alcohol like that. I have no. But obviously sex, I will in a healthy way. Right. That's the goal is to find a partner and go about it in a healthy way. So is is. Is there no withdrawal from sex in a healthy committed relationship no not in the same way right because it's it's how we use it right mm. so if i'm in a healthy committed relationship with someone and i'm not trying to have sex with them to gain something from them right? mm. i'm having sex with them as a as a, a way in which we connect a way in which we have fun a way in which we um deal with the you know uh physiological biological urges that we have and we do that together in a contract right in an agreement that is safe for each other right and safe has a you know we do a whole podcast on what safe means but um 
there's no withdrawal there because of how I'm using it. Now, if I, if I take this other person in their body to satisfy my emotional dysregulation, to, to, to regulate that or to, to treat my own emotional volatility, then yeah, there's going to be a fault because that sexual act can't actually do that for me. I know that I'm using them. I know that there was no connection there, right? And so my natural response is shame, disappointment, perhaps regret if it's some sort of illicit connection or a way that's against my values, okay? And we'll do a lot of things to try to deal with that shame and regret, right? We'll try to numb that too. Mm. We'll make a whole new dysfunctional value system to try to understand why we're doing these things. But but real emotional, vulnerable, um, intimate, connected sex is um, it there there it's healthy, right? So there is no like side effect to that. There's no crush there because of how I'm approaching it and how I'm utilizing it. I think about people ask me this question all the time. Like, what's similar about vodka and water? There's water in it? <laughs> yeah. There's they look similar, right? If they if you're just looking at them, yeah. they both look the same, right? But that's where the similarities end, right? There's actually if you drank one and you drank the other, you would immediately know which one you were drinking, right? You wouldn't be like, oh, was that water or vodka? I can't tell, you know? Like, oh, that water tastes funny. I'm gonna, you know, like we, you could immediately tell. There's the only similarity is that they're clear liquids, mm -hmm. right? And just by looking at them, they're indistinguishable. And and people and, and addicts that are that are far in and they're recovering they're working on sexual reintegration they're asking me that how do i know the difference between addictive sex and healthy sex i'd say well how do you know the difference between vodka and water you do it and you know and you can tell and experience the difference your experience with addictive sex is is similar to uh intimate sex only in like uh, that one feature, right? That it is, that, that it is sexual, okay? That's the mm -hmm. only similarity that it has. That's the same thing as vodka and water. So when you start drinking water, you're gonna know the difference. You're mm -hmm. gonna know, you're gonna feel it. You're gonna feel it in your connection with your partner. You're gonna feel it in the actual act of the thing and the freedom of it, okay? Um, it's so wildly different um, that you don't have to worry about how do I distinguish between the two. Hmm. Yeah, I, I thank you. I, I really appreciate that perspective and you breaking that down. That's definitely something that I've been, you know, kind of wondering and a little afraid of, you know, for whenever I get to that point in my life and in my recovery um, to, uh, to, to go through that. So I, I really appreciate that. That made a lot of sense. Um, and there's a really interesting like scale. Okay, and I I, I, expose, I got exposed to this at a conference, and I'm not going to credit the author because I don't remember. Okay, but just know that I did not make this up. So the, the author had a scale of like one to six, okay, and uh, on, on sexual experience within a relationship. And on the 
one end, it was obligatory sex. Okay. It was just like the other one person wants to do it. The other person's like, okay, like, I'm not really feeling up for it. And, but like, I love you. And then it seems like this is important for you right now or, 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 or you're, you, you're turned on or whatever it is. And so they'll, they'll, they'll engage in obligatory sex. Okay. It's a gift to the other person, but it's not connected. Okay. That's on the one end. Right. And on the other end of the six is this passionate kind of euphoric sex. Okay. That the, the sex that everybody thinks that sex should be every time, all the time. Mm -hmm. Right. And the reality is that like, we're like real sex, real healthy sex does not live on either pole. Okay. But it leans more towards one than it does six. Okay. We're going to have like six experiences from time to time and real connected and vulnerable and intimate um, connections with our partner. Okay. When, when, when you're into it and they're into it and at the moment is right and energy is there and, you know, just, you know, all everything's clicking, then that's an experience that you have. But the mistake is thinking that it's going to be like that all of the time, that obligatory sex is never going to be a part of your uh, marital or relational life. Okay. But in reality, the most often, like if you think about it in terms of a bell curve, mm -hmm. the most frequent kind of sex is actually what author calls like connected sex where it's not euphoric, it's not crazy, passionate, you know, tiger in bed situation, but it's a connected and safe experience with this other person in which both parties are getting their needs met, right? And that's that four, or what do you say? It's like that three, four range, right? Where, I, and that's where healthy sex lives, okay? It's not obligatory and lame, right? And it's not crazy, you know, whatever, right? Mm. And a lot of addicts think that a healthy sex and engaged sex is going to be six, and we're going to be at that six point. We're going to be, right? And and that's where all that dopamine stuff gets in, and then we're going to maybe recreate some of my pornography or whatever it is. Like that, that's what healthy sex is, and it's a, that's not really the case, right? So um, we spend actually most of our time in healthy sex in, in the middle there, mm. relationally connected experience. So what you're saying is, is Matt, it's not black and white. Correct. As addicts, I like to make things black and white when really life happens in that gray area in the middle. Yeah. And that's, that's just the reality of it. And, be, and, 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 and get this. Okay. Are we surprised that that on that bell curve, that connected sex is healthy and the most frequent kind within a healthy marriage? But guess what? Like, if you have a healthy relationship, you're not having wild sex all the time because wild sex is not supposed to be the way in which you find connection and happiness in your marriage and in your relationship, in your um, committed, you know, connection with another partner, right? That's not the the metric, okay? And and, and it would be really um, you know, surprising if it were, right? Basic, when, based on all the stuff we're learning and covering. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Matt, I I really appreciate that perspective. And I again, man, I, I want to be mindful of your time. I, I know you need to get going, but man, thank you so much 
just for coming on and just having this kind of these conversations with me. And there, there's, like you said, there's so much more that we could talk about and we'll, we'll continue the conversations because as long as I'm doing this podcast, Matt, you will always get invites to come back on. Um, so again, thank you so much, man. I, I really appreciate it. And just thank you for your time. It's, it's always just such a blessing to talk to you and you're just, you're so full of wisdom, man. And thank you so much. Thanks, Brian. It's a, always a pleasure to hang out with you. I appreciate that, Matt. So, um, so yeah, I'll get this. I'll get this all cut up and put up, and then yeah, and here you'll you'll hear from me again, and, and I'll definitely I want to have you back on for sure. Sure. Thanks, man. All right, Matt. Well, have a good one, man. It was again great seeing you. Tell all the guys I said hello, would you? Will do. Will awesome. do. All right. All right, See Matt. You. See you, man. Later. I just want to go ahead and, and, and give a big shout out and another big thank you to Matt Wanger for coming back on, man. It was just such a blast to have him on the show and to, you know, have him, have him come on, you know, I, I as much as I, I, you know, I, I love having just different perspectives. And for me, it's just, it's really special to have on, you know, a, a professional that, um, that one that I've worked with one-on-one -on -one, um, in a clinical setting uh, and two, just the willingness, you know, I'm, I'm still so surprised by the willingness um, that people have to come on the show and to talk recovery and to talk sex addiction. Um, it just, it means so much to me. So thank you so much, Matt, is, I'll, I'll definitely be having him on again. And um, yeah, so in the meantime, guys, go check out the socials. Um, no Lions here is on socials. We're on Instagram, YouTube. Um, and Twitter as well. So going to be posting full length videos of the episodes moving forward, as well as clips and reels and things like that. So definitely go check us out. It is no underscore lions underscore here um, on Instagram and YouTube. Um, and as always, guys, you can always reach out to me uh, via email. If there's any topics that you'd like to hear discussed, um, that email address is no lions here at gmail.com. Again, that's no lions here at gmail.com. Um, also, too, you can go check out the website for um, some resources. Uh, there's a link on there to uh, to find meetings, whether that be in-person meetings or Zoom meetings. Um, so definitely go check that out, nolionshere.com. Again, that's nolionshere.com. Um, thank you guys so much for joining me on my journey. Um, I, am, I am truly blessed with this opportunity and the things that I'm getting to do in my life right now with this. So thank you so much for joining me on my journey. Um, it means a lot to me. Definitely love you guys. Um, and remember, as always, keep coming back. It works if you work it and you're worth it. Have a good one. Talk to you guys next time. Yeah, no, so